for those of you who don't know me, my name is Logan Fields. We've been here uh, about a year and a half, almost two years, my wife Danielle and I, and uh, members for about half that time. I'll tell you a little bit about my story, uh, something's different that maybe you didn't hear last time. So I grew up in a military family, mainly in Japan and Hawaii, which was awesome. It's as cool as it sounds. I could see, you know, in, if you see pictures of Japan, it's often like a postcard with Mount Fuji and the red sun behind it. I could see that from my front yard. It was incredible. Um, and Hawaii is Hawaii. And we, we weren't, my family was not Christian uh, my entire life. My parents were, you know, the typical kind of uh, American where they kind of say they're Christian, but they haven't necessarily come to know Christ and they're not involved in anything. And so when I was eight years old, we had been living in Abilene, Texas for a while, and we were then moving to Japan. And my parents had decided they were probably going to get a divorce. I was eight at the time. Uh, they were going to give it six months in Japan uh, to, to see if it would work. During that time, we got invited, my sister and I got invited to a vacation Bible school of a uh, missions church that was outside of the base gates. So it was a church not on the base, but it was a missionary that was uh, there for military families. And so we get invited to that, and then they wind up following up with our family, and they got us to go to church a little bit. And, and pretty quickly, my mom came to Christ. My dad rededicated his life. I came to Christ. Um, and things completely, completely changed from there. And I was able to hear the gospel at that age, and I connected really quickly. And I, I received Christ alone in my room when I was eight years old. And it's just, you know, it's amazing to think of how God orchestrates things. You know, from America to Japan, and I got to hear the gospel in Japan. And um, he put my family in a situation where we were isolated. Now, now as kids, it, it's a little different because you're enjoying the, all of the, the cool stuff of being in a new place like that. But my parents were, you know, they're isolated from their country, from their families. And it was kind of a pressure cooker that allowed us to grow pretty quickly uh, because the only thing we had to do was go to church um, and spend time with other Christians. And God did some special things for us. When I was 15, I surrendered to preach. I surrendered for full-time ministry. I had fought it for a while. I wanted to do other things. When I was 15, I finally uh, gave it to God. And from there, I started working towards ministry, and I went to Bible college um, and where my wife and I met, and we were in full-time ministry in uh, Hawaii for about a year, and then in Texas for about three years doing like singles ministry, children's ministry, and uh, youth ministry, and some other assistant pastor stuff, and eventually went into full-time business, and now I'm an entrepreneur who also gets to preach. So it's super cool. Um, and we, we came out of these legalistic churches 
when I left ministry. That's part of one of the reasons why we left, is we kind of had nowhere else to go. And uh, we were in these churches that were very restrictive, and like you can't listen to any type of music except hymns. Um, like a drum set on stage was preached against big time, only pianos and organs. Um, and then you can just imagine the, the rest of stuff that outworks from that. And so it was really oppressive, uh, bad things, not all bad, uh, but bad enough to need to move on. One of the good things, though, that I got to see was there was a heavy emphasis on soul winning. And now I don't recommend this particular way to do it, but we would go door to door like the Jehovah's Witnesses. And yes, a lot of times they thought we were Jehovah's Witnesses. And we would go door to door and we would witness to people and tell them the gospel, which was as awkward as it sounds. It was horrible. Um, but I actually, we were able to lead a number of people to Christ that way, although it didn't really lead to deep discipleship. But I saw some interesting things. Going door to door, I talked to a lot of people, obviously, about salvation. And then in ministry later on, talked to a lot of people about salvation. And I would ask something to this effect, um, you know, do you know if you're going to heaven? Or if they said they were already a Christian, when did you come to know Christ? I would ask something like that. And people would say, even not door to door, but even in churches, people would say to me, well, I've been going to this church for this long. Or uh, my family has always gone to church. Or they would tell me about how they stopped going to church and then they started going to church again. And that was the answer I received to when did you accept Christ? Going to church, and it's a super common misconception, being baptized, going to church a lot, growing up in a Christian family, none of that has anything to do with whether or not one goes to heaven. It's really simple. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's, that's it. When somebody has decided on their own to accept Christ outside of any works, um, could you turn to Colossians 3? And we're going to talk about resurrection with Christ. Colossians 3, verse 1. If then you have been risen with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. And so the first part of that, if you have been risen with Christ, and I just like to sit there for a second, and please ask yourself that genuinely, have you been risen with Christ? Have you? Because going to church, even being here regularly, has nothing to do with whether you're saved, with whether you know Christ or not. If you've been risen with Christ, if you haven't, or if you're not sure, that's, a, that's an important thing to explore. Now, it's a hard decision, isn't it? One of the benefits I had was I was a kid. And it's a lot easier as a kid. There's not really pride uh, that, you know, that you have to get over or anything. There are kind, there's kind of a couple things that happens. In the Christian life, I think there are two major decisions. Whether, well, accepting Christ is one of them. And then surrendering to Christ, I believe, is another one. 
for adults who accept Christ, often those things happen at the same time because they understand just the gravity of things and uh, that they're making a bigger decision to give things to Christ. For children who, who accept Christ, it often happens kind of in two separate events where they accept Christ and later they realize that they really need to give their entire life to Christ and uh, let him work through them. Um, but yeah, I was able to hear the gospel at a young age, and God gave me a lot of special things through that. But I did struggle, too. I had a lot of times where I wasn't sure, and it was uh, scary. It was depressing. But when you go to God about these things, he gives an answer, and it's really simple. If you've called upon Jesus for salvation, then you're saved. And, and that's it. It has nothing to do with baptism or works. And the reason, one of the reasons I'm prefacing so heavily and saying this stuff over and over again in different ways is because we're actually about to talk a lot about works, and I really want to separate the two and, and help and, and be really clear that it's salvation first and knowing Christ and being in Christ, and then these other things, these works and these good habits are symptom of knowing Christ. If you then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. And so this is just huge, and, and it paints a picture bigger than salvation, right? Risen with Christ. You were dead, now you're not, and it goes into that in a, in a couple verses a little deeper, and now it's totally different. There was death, now there's life. There wasn't life, now there is life. And as we go into the new year, what I see from, and I do it too, New Year's resolutions certainly aren't bad, but what I sense from the activity is people are so incomplete, including Christians, feel so incomplete that, that we find these things via New Year's resolutions that we're trying to raise to life in order to, to get ourselves to uh, fulfillment. And the only way, it, Colossians is actually all about being complete in Christ. The only way to be complete in Christ is one, uh, to first of all have accepted him, but two, to stand in the reality that we are risen with Christ. And to go, so, so in the new year, going into the new year with the perspective that we are risen with Christ, that is our spiritual reality, completely changes things. I was, we had some friends over a couple weeks ago, and we were going to watch uh, like two, two movies in a row. We were going to watch the, the Batman movies, the good ones, the Christian Bale ones. And so uh, I have my friend over, they're at our house, and I don't even know if he looked behind my TV or what in the world he was doing, but I had my Blu-ray player, you know, obviously hooked up to the TV. And he goes, you're, you're using auxiliary cables? I was like, yeah, what are you talking about? And he said, go get the HDMI cable, which is apparently what makes it HD, uh, high definition instead of standard definition. And we've had this thing for like five years, so. I, I have watched Blu-ray effectively without watching Blu-ray for a half decade now. And... So anyway, I go to the basement, 
I get the cable, and I'm like, it's not going to make a difference. It's, it's not even going to be noticeable. And he plugs in the HDMI cable, and my wife and I went, wow. <laughs> and that's what perspective is, is it's seeing the same things in a different way. It's seeing them in the way they should be seen, too, ideally, if you have a proper perspective. And looking at things through God's eyes, obviously, is the proper perspective. It, your life may be the same elements, but when you look at it from the fact that you are risen with Christ, meaning he has done the work, the power is there, he has presented you blameless before God, and now here are the things you have to do, that, or that he's going to do through you, rather. Uh, it's a lot more realistic. I'm going to read this passage. I called the rest of this, or a few more verses down, I call this next section the super-Christian section, which is, so, so God is, he's talking to the, the church or churches in uh, this city, and he's telling him, hey, here's the things you need to do. And he's actually kind of doing it fairly casually. And it's this big, deep, super-Christian list that he's kind of assuming, like, look, if you're risen with Christ, here's what you need to do, and he doesn't treat it as some, you know, big, difficult thing. Verse 2, set your minds on things that are above, not on things on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. <coughs> in these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another. And then go down to verse 12. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience. And he goes on, and we'll get deeper into this. But he just talked about this super Christian right here. He lists 10, 20 things that uh, we shouldn't do, and, we sh and then another list of what we should do. And they're all expected, all of these big things. Being humble, having humility, that's a tall order. Uh, but it's, it's just kind of sandwiched in the middle of a bunch of other stuff right here. And the reason this is realistic for us is because we if you have accepted Christ, are risen in Christ. But a Christian who doesn't step into that and live from that perspective is like using auxiliary cables with your Blu-ray player. It's, it's not the life that Christ has for us. It totally changes things when we do it the way God wants us to, meaning when we view things the way God wants us to view, and when we're standing in him instead of trying to do things on our own. And, and that's kind of the, the big difference, is, you know, all of these New Year's resolutions are about what can I do to raise this thing up, this part of my life up. Again, not bad in and of itself. Um, but the mindset that we can do something good apart from God is wrong. We can only do good through God, God working through us. And when we're standing in 
the spiritual realities, that we're risen with Christ. And so I'm going to go back to verse 2. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are the earth. And it's really simple. Things that are above, Jesus. Jesus and God's glory. That's what it's talking about. That's what we should be seeking. That's what our minds should be set on, is Jesus and his glory. And when you filter things that way, meaning, hey, I'm going to do this or I'm going to be this, um, and you, you filter that through, is this for God's glory? Will it give God glory? Um, it changes your life significantly. It also actually makes things fairly simple. Because when we, when we try to live like a Christian outside of Christ's resurrection, we wind up doing what the Pharisees did. They weren't all ill-intentioned people, you know, the Pharisees. They were actually, many of them were trying to follow God, and they just wound up spiraling out of control with all these ridiculous rules and deviations of the rules uh, because they thought that God was rules. But, but that's what you do. If you do things outside of Christ, you have to just kind of set things on a list and try to accomplish the list. And then it turns into something that Jesus called poisonous. Everything needs to be done from a resurrection mindset. Does it give God glory? Uh, verse, verse 3, for you have died, your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Now verse 5, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. And then God, again, kind of makes things easy, and he's going to define what is earthly. Put to death what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Let's talk about covetousness for a second, because that's probably one of the largest American issues. Um, and he calls it idolatry. Now, for us, that is uh, maybe not as heavy. At, well, it's, def it's not as heavy for us as um, it would have been for these churches or church to hear that. Idolatry, remember, is the, the problem that God constantly had with Israel all throughout the Old Testament, right? He would do this great thing like save them from generational slavery in Egypt, and then immediately they spend their resources on a golden calf. And, and they worship, and they like make up their own pagan rules on how they're going to worship it really quickly. And then, and this happens over and over again, where in kings you're seeing um, most of the kings. There, there are a few exceptions, but most of the kings, what the Bible has to say about it, is they did not do which was right in the sight of the Lord, and they had high places where they burned incense to false gods, um, and they, some kings, some Israeli kings, even sacrificed uh, their, their firstborn sons to false gods, and ridiculous stuff over and over again, and God uh, did not appreciate that at all, which is why Israel wind up... Uh, having so much trouble and losing so much at least temporary blessing is because they kept going 
to idols. And so in Jesus, God here, he's equating covetousness to idolatry. Covetousness to, and the reason I'm saying this is because it's so easy to read a story in the Bible and like roll our eyes at Israel. Like, oh, they, they built a golden calf like that? How could they have done that and worshiped the golden calf so quickly? And we can't even fathom that. And God says, look, covetousness in you is the same thing to me as what the Israelites did to me for generations, worshiping false idols. Covetousness uh, is something that always thirsts. If you are wealthy and you have a covetousness problem, you're just going to want to be more wealthy. You're going to be jealous that somebody got a promotion, that somebody has uh, put more into their 401k, whatever it is, right? If you are not doing well financially and you have a covetousness problem, then you're going to often have a problem with those who have more than you do. And it's something that eats you up, that's always thirsty, um, and that controls your thinking. That's why he equates it to idolatry, specifically covetousness to idolatry. It consumes your heart. It consumes your mind. You're not able to worship two things at once. It's not possible. And when covetousness seeps into our heart, it is not possible to fully worship God, and to step into the resurrection that he has given us. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. And the the way to put something to death is to starve it. You cannot fully focus on two things at once. It's not possible to give 100% in two places. If you give your focus to the things of God, Jesus and his glory, the things above, then the things of earth, the covetousness and other things, will starve. You, you don't have to give attention to them. A, a lot of times, you don't even have to do things super proactive. Now, again, I'm speaking in broad generalizations right there. That's not always the case. But much of the time, um, a, a problem with an earthly uh, affixation is to just focus on what's heavenly. Verse 7, And these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Big one right there, obscene talk and slander. Easy to do, right? To talk poorly about someone. For some reason, we're entertained by it. All of us. All of us are. Talking poorly about people becomes entertaining really quickly. It's, it's a wicked, horrible thing that God does not want in us. And by the way, a big part of not being a part of slander, not being a part of gossip, is separating from those who uh, have no desire to stop. By, but, but I'll tell you a trick. Because Danielle and I, we have some people that every now and then we have to be around... Uh, just because that's the way life is, that gossip is like a huge thing. 
And our answer, one, one thing that I found that works is if you start talking about Jesus when they approach you with gossip, they'll say, hey, so-and-so did this. Oh, man, but Jesus has done amazing things in my life, and I think he can do something special right there. That'll make them uncomfortable real quick. <laughs> and then you move on. Verse 9, do not, lie one to, do not lie to one another. This is addressing a lot of how we deal with each other as a church. So a lot of things I've said so far do have to do with how you relate to God individually. But to be honest, the context here is Jesus is talking about how we approach God and deal with each other as a church. And he's talking to our collective response. And he says, do not lie one to another. He's talking, you shouldn't lie to people who aren't Christians either. But he's saying, don't lie to each other in your church. And most lies are not just outright malicious lies. Most lies are omission or diversion. Um, something like that. And the reason people do that is because we just mostly are not interested in being truly transparent. Because if you're really transparent with someone, and let me stop for a sec, transparent does not mean, hey, let me tell you all of the horrible things I've done and all of the horrible parts of my life. Now, in some deep relationships, maybe that's true. But transparency is not like a focus on all of the negative things. Transparency has more to do with actually giving of yourself in a way that does not expect something back and uh, letting people get to actually know you. And so a lot of people just want to keep others at an arm's length. Like, hey, it's nice to see you during handshaking time, um, but that's kind of that's it. And people are very easily tempted to be disingenuous. So when I was in full-time ministry, I, again, I was training for ministry since I was 15. So it was my identity during that time. Now, it no longer is. I'm an entrepreneur. Uh, people don't know that I preach or anything like that, and I don't preach that often. I'm a businessman, uh, and we deal with projects and companies and stuff like that. And that's how people know me now. But back then, my identity was preacher boy, and then eventually preacher because I was in full-time ministry. And from the time I was 15 until I went into full-time business, people, because people find out what you do really quickly, people did not curse around me. Or if they did, they would apologize. Oh, oh, I'm so sorry. Then I went into full-time business and I found out that like grandmas are cursing at each other playing bridge. Like everybody's cursing like crazy. I did not even know that was the case until I was out of ministry, because people were honestly so disingenuine that they would act totally different because I was in ministry. Now, that is an extreme example of just what easily happens that I believe counts as a lie, where we are actors with each other, and we, we don't allow others to get close to us, we don't 
allow others to see the truth. And again, it's not just, hey, am I having a financially bad time? Did my kid do something ridiculous and are they continuing to be ridiculous? It's not all about those bad things. It's about opening yourself up and not being uh, disingenuine in a way where you're keeping people at an arm's distance and misleading people. Because that's what we so easily do is uh, we just subconsciously, because it, it's an easy habit to make and then you don't have to think about it, we mislead people. And that's one of the things I believe it's talking about here. Don't lie to one another. Do not lie to one another, um, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave-free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. So first of all, he says, put on. And, and then he talks about all these things that you need to put on. And again, it's, uh, now this is a book of the Bible. So when I say casual, I mean retrospect to uh, Isaiah giving some giant prophecy to a nation or something. It's fairly casual. It's fairly low intensity compared to some other things where he's saying, hey, put these things on. And it's that simple, right? He, he does, there's not a lot of work to be done. Christ has already risen. He has given us the power of his resurrection. Now put it on. And then these things again are symptom. They come out of it when we put on what Christ has already given us instead of trying to do all of the work ourselves. Forgiving one another as the Lord has forgiven you, so also you must forgive. And so here's another good thing about forgiving each other. We, we don't get to hold grudges. Really not with anybody, but again, this is specifically talking about uh, how we interact with each other as uh, people in the same church. Forgiving one another, not holding grudges. Grudges not allowed. And it's about God's glory, again. See, we're at an interesting place in the world where for, well, forgiveness is a popular thing. Like, people are not in a place now, even if you're not Christian, where you're arguing whether forgiveness is a, a good idea or not. The problem is most people say, well, forgiveness is good for you. It'll help you heal. Now, that's true. That's absolutely true. But us feeling better, us healing even, us being better should not be our motivation for forgiving others. Again, those things are all happen when you forgive because forgiveness is powerful. But our motivation for forgiving others should be what Christ has done for us and giving him glory. There were two times my, my father, I guess, kind of laid hands on me uh, physically. And both were totally merited. One time, uh, I would have been about 9 or 10. I w we're, so we had just started going to church. We were a new Christian family. 
he's gone on missions all the time, and I uh, had cursed at my mother. And I was going up the stairs. He was coming down very shortly after the incident, and he held me up against the wall and said, don't talk to my wife like that. And I, I didn't anymore. <laughs> and then uh, the second time was a few years ago when Danielle and I were going through some very hard times in our marriage. And something had happened that I could not handle and I was reacting poorly to, and I was screaming and saying we were going to get a divorce. And as I hope you can tell, God's done a lot of healing since then. It was a bad situation at the time. And again, my dad held me up against the, uh, against the wall and said, well, what about what Jesus has done for you? And uh, that, you know, what, what can you say to that? He had a great point. And thing, it took a while for things to get where they needed to get, but that was certainly a pivotal moment. Our motivation for forgiveness should be what Jesus has done for us. He's totally forgiven us of everything from the past, everything in the future. What sin is, sin is not just about little isolated actions. Sin's essence is we have on purpose turned against God. Um, I'm being a little reductive, but we've on purpose completely turned against God. And we're dirt. We were created from dirt. God is holy, and he's love. And we turned against him on purpose, and then he forgave us. That's what God's done for us, and that's something that we should give to others, too. When you're in a place, I found this in our marriage, we have gotten to this special place where forgiveness is constant. Now, at the moment, we don't necessarily have a bunch of big issues that, uh, you know, tempt, tempt us in that way, but so, some small things and big things can come up in marriage all the time. And when you get to this place where forgiveness is known, like it, she knows beforehand that she is already forgiven. I know beforehand that I'm already forgiven. It doesn't mean we don't apologize. It doesn't mean we don't adjust. But when you know, hey, nobody's going anywhere. Forgiveness already exists. It completely changes a relationship. And that's what God is saying that he wants in a church. For people to be able to not lie to one another. So let me call that be real, be transparent. Which means, see, when you do that, when you're not lying to one another, the yucky stuff is going to start to boil to the top because you're not hiding every little thing and misleading. And forgiveness may be a more necessary thing at that point. And, and Jesus says, don't lie to one another. Work together for God's glory and decide ahead of time, forgive one another. Above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. Let the peace of God rule. It's surrender. P- 
peace is obviously the opposite of anxiety. Anxiety and fear, uh, which is a really popular emotion now, isn't it? It's easy to get there real quick to be anxious. And God has a lot to say about anxiety and fear. And I'm not talking, by the way, about clinical anxiety, just to be really clear. I'm talking about when we choose to be anxious and fearful about things that are spiritually unacceptable to be uh, anxious about, which is most things. And he says, let peace rule in your heart. That means that when we're going through life, our life, by the way, is going to look like often like those who are not saved in, in terms of tragedies happening, sickness happening, financial hardships, uh, things like that are going to happen to us at the same rate as they happen to others. The difference is if we let peace rule in our heart, we go through those things often almost as if they were non-issues. A train, if you put a penny under it before it starts, it can't go anywhere. The, the penny stops the whole train. But if a train is going uh, like 50, 60 miles an hour and you have a three-foot wide concrete wall, the train can go right through it without slowing down even a little bit. And that's what letting peace rule is like. It's being able to go through the barriers that will still exist in a totally different way than anxiety lets you. Anxiety gets you to this place and fear gets you to this place where those walls are things that stop you and, and hurt, hurt your relationship with God and hurt your ability to keep on moving uh, in a way that gives God glory. Let peace rule in your heart. So the good news is those of us who deal with a lot of anxiety, maybe it's different part and different seasons in our life, um, where, where these times can come up. The good news is the answer is su surrender. If you're like me, the temptation is, if you're maybe aware enough to know, hey, I am anxious, I am fearful, but I want to push through this. If you're like me, I just said it, right? Push through it is the temptation. Like, let me figure out how I can fix this. Can I adjust my mindset? Can I just get over it? Can I push through it? Can I get to the other side? But God's answer is stop, let the peace of God rule in your heart. I think that 2018 is going to be a very special year uh, for, for our church and in many of our lives. Standing in Christ's resurrection and being focused on his glory and letting his peace rule in our hearts will completely change our lives, our families, and this church. And there is nothing more satisfying, there is nothing more fulfilling than growing closer to Christ. And he's already paid for us to be able to do that. Let's pray.